0: One of our goals is you take away a nugget of wisdom that will help your business move from the industrial revolution to business 5.0. Our vision is that of collaboration in the aquaculture industry. I'm Lourdes Gant, your host. As an aquaculture business, how do you get to connect with friends who are also experts in the industry? This episode is dedicated to answering that question. Welcome to episode 15, season four of the business of aquaculture. This episode, I'm delighted to interview a good friend of ours, Mr. Hal Beattie. Welcome to the show, Hal. Thank you. Maybe you can give us a background of how you got into the aquaculture industry, because I actually don't know what your background is. So this <laughs> will be interesting.
1: <laughs> okay. So, well, I've never been actually part of the industry. So I got my master's degree in fisheries at the University of Washington. And when I went back to graduate school, it was after I got my undergraduate in oceanography. And I had gone to a lecture by a group of ocean engineering professionals. And the subject of that meeting was aquaculture. And that's when I first got interested. And then while I was at the university, I worked a little bit as a laborer kind of with some of the salmon aquaculture and was looking for a project for my master's thesis. And then I just got enthused mostly from the enthusiasm of Dr. Ken Chu at University of Washington. His field was shellfish. And so I got interested in shellfish and shellfish culture. Shortly after I finished school there, I worked at an oyster hatch, private oyster hatchery in Polesbow. Then I went back to the university to work for Ken Chu for about seven or ten years, I guess, about 10 years. And I was doing experimental work with oysters, and some work with scallops and clams. After about ten years, eleven years, I got an opportunity to go to work with the State Department of Fish and Wildlife at their facility on Hood Canal in Brennan. and, I, and so I became the hatchery manager there. And our main focus there at the beginning was working with gooey ducks and developing the techniques for growing and planting gooey ducks.
0: Yes. So I actually was Googling about this because normally I would have like a ready bio for my guests. And then I saw that you actually help manage this WDFW. And I thought, I wonder what that is. And then you just mentioned that Department of Fisheries and Wildlife when yes, you, right. you're doing some installation there. So thanks for that background, Hal. Al. So when you said you were doing some research about GUI ducks, what was your most interesting project that you did there?
1: Well, the most interesting thing was just trying to keep them alive. But I think the most intriguing thing was we had when I first came there, the existing hatchery manager was leaving, and so I took over from him. He was quite brilliant and had instituted a relatively large scale production facility for gooey ducks. And so we were, I think, my first summer there, we produced like seven million gooey duck seed, and they were beautiful. But at that point the Department of Fish and Wildlife and the Washington Department of Natural Resources were kind of jointly managing the duck resource. So the money was coming from the Department of Natural Resources, or DNR, for running the hatchery. And so the idea was that all of the areas that were being harvested in the subtitle by commercial entities were monitored by the Department of Natural Resources. And the aim of having the state hatchery there producing duck seed was to go to areas that have been harvested by the commercial divers and replant with geoduck seed. So this entire year and plus the next year's geoduck seed, uh, maybe totaling 10 or 12, I don't remember the exact number, 12 million seed altogether got planted out by the dive team. And they were, mostly they were planted by just uh Taking the seed and scattering them onto the water behind a boat. And then they would drift down through the water till they hit the bottom. And then the idea was that they would dig in and then eventually grow up to be gooey ducks. But after several years, the dive team went back to see what the results of this planting were, and there was nothing. It was like 0% survival. So at that point, in getting to your question, what was the kind of most interesting thing was we In the hatchery had kept some of the seed that didn't go to get planted. We kept it in the hatchery in the little nursery, and they survived just fine. So we were wondering what happened to the seed that got planted out. And so based on diver observations and some experiments that we did in the laboratory, we pretty much determined that they were getting eaten by predators, either flatfish or crabs or something. So the interesting thing was we had the question of, well, what can we do to increase the survival of the seeds we're putting out there. And so we thought, well, maybe we can treat them with some kind of chemical that would repel the predators, or maybe we have to figure out some way to protect them. And so myself and some of the other biologists working at the laboratory, we just sit around during coffee breaks or out having a smoke. And we'd talk about what the different kind of things we might do and say, well, one of them said, well, why don't we take and make a little protection for them, like maybe some buckets or something? And so then since it was a shellfish hatchet, we had an excess of different sizes of PVC pipe around. And so we came up with a method to experiment with where we just took PVC pipe four inches or six inches in diameter and cut it into links and stuck it in the ground and covered it with mesh and put redux seed inside. And so the first time we did that, we maybe, I don't, can't remember, it was just like we did maybe a dozen different tubes to see what would happen. And then we had some pretty good success. You know, after one season, we thought, whoa, they're doing pretty well. So then we expanded that, and we worked up a cooperative agreement with our state parks. The state parks have several parks that are on the ocean or on the water. So we went to four different state park beaches, and we had manufactured these tubes, and I don't remember the exact number, 100 or 200 tubes per beach. And we put these tubes in, we we organized a bunch of volunteers to go out and put all this seed and push these, these tubes into the ground, put the seed in. And then that was in August. And then I went back with some people to sample, to see how well the survival hat was in the following spring. And yeah, so it looked like geoducks we were doing pretty well. And so we were looking at maybe 50 to 70% survival. Then that Sparked a lot of interest in me. And I was trying to convince DNR that we could modify this technique for subtitle. We did all this on the intertitle and, and we wanted to do some subtitle work, but DNR didn't really have any interest. They'd had a big embarrassment by a bunch of poaching was going on, and there was a big fiasco that was labeled by the press the clam scam. And it was a lot of ducks being poached. So DNR had. Put all of their money into kind of a compliance effort and enforcement to, to stop or at least curtail some of this poaching going on. So the money that went into the, that compliance came out of what used to come to us as a hatchery. So we no longer got funded by DNR. But in spite of that, the interest I had in seeing the gui-duck industry grow and, and knowing that we could grow them in the intertidal, even though most of the population was subtitled I did some more experiments and presented several papers at scientific meetings. And indeed, some of the commercial shellfish growers got interested and set up hatcheries to start to grow gooey ducks. That's where we are today, except it's now expanded much beyond that.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that background. And it's fascinating when you were talking about just keeping the animals alive. And what came to my mind was, is it the same in terms of the other shellfish oysters and scallops, like the number one thing is increased survival rate. Do you find? Or is I'm biased, of course, because we're producing shellfish gooey duck But I was just wondering if it's the same, I guess, obstacle is keeping the animals alive for the other clams.
1: I think it is. I think it can always be a problem. And even though I worked with shellfish and kind of in a hatchery situation that aren't experimental, like this pilot scale for 25 years I really hated it from the aspect of you never knew when you were going to have major mortalities and a friend of mine is in the shellfish industry on the east coast and I was just talking with him yesterday and he's had the same issue where this year for some reason their clam production is just way down in spite of everything he could do so just happens
0: oh that's really sad but I guess, part of the business thing as well. So got to pinpoint a way on how to probably even predict what's hurting the animals other than the usual, you know, climate change predator. So hopefully we can get better in that in the next 10 years, which leads me to my next question. What do you see as a future trend in the sustainable aquaculture business?
1: I've been retired more than 20 years now. I'm really, other than the contact with some of my friends still in the industry, I don't think I'm in a position to answer that question.
0: That's all right. So this is maybe a trick question. But if you can go back on those last three decades and you know what you know now, what would you have changed?
1: What would I have changed? Well, I think personally, when I see how successful some of these geoduck businesses have been, I think I might have quit my job with the state and start my own geoduck farm. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's fantastic. That's hope, right? That's hope. (laughs) And so, my last question is what's one thing you can advise a leader in this industry?
1: Especially people starting out, I think you have to expect that not everything is going to go smoothly initially. One of the big stumbling blocks that I have seen over the years is people look at what's possible and they don't see how failures might get in the way. And so, all they can do is they get on their computer and they expand out and they see all these dollars rolling in. And when it doesn't happen, they just throw up their hands and quit. And I think it'd be the same advice for somebody wanting to start a restaurant. You have to expect you're going to have maybe three or four years where you're not making any money because you're just making mistakes and learning.
0: Well, thank you for reminding us
1: about that. Because I remember one point I had a
0: coach always saying that, our obstacles are just a window for opportunities. And I guess that's it. Everybody in this business needs to persevere that there will be obstacles and failures are just ingredients so that we can be more, I guess, tenacity in staying in the business. It's interesting that you mentioned you could have gotten into Gupeduck farming as a business.
1: (laughs) Well, I thought about, you know, like I said, I thought about that, but one of my friends at the time, he looked at me and said, Come on, you're not an entrepreneur. You're a scientist. Admit it. So that's where I am.
0: (laughs) Well, I knew some scientists who got into business as well and got the business bug. But I love that you had clarity in terms of your natural ability too. So I always talk about my son. You know, my son is turning 13 in the next four weeks. And we've always tried to, as much as we can say, you know, you can't teach a fish how to climb a tree. If we do it that way, it will be doomed to fail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. so, my biggest takeaway from our conversation today, Hal, is I love that you shared with us the way that you help, I guess, Department of Fisheries and Wildlife, Department of Natural Resources have this pivoting in terms of how to develop the industry when it was first starting. I think it was very telling on how this industry originally started from three decades ago. I'm even seeing some reports with your name on it online that was from way back. So it's always good to look back, I guess. That's what's one of the things that I love about our
1: conversation.
0: How do you have our audience get in touch with you? Facebook. Uh,
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, I guess Facebook, yeah.
0: Yeah, I see that you're always active there. I love seeing your family photos there and updates about what's happening and then when you come visit. So thanks again for being on the show, Hal. I really appreciate your time. You're welcome. And
1: hello to Eric.
0: I will, I will. To our subscribers, do leave a preview of the podcast so we can get more people to be aware of the value our guests are providing in these conversations. If you're new to the podcast, I'd like to hear from you. Thanks everyone. Thanks again, Hal. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for listening and I hope you are inspired from this episode. Do take a moment and share this with your friends and colleagues and rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway from this conversation has been. What are you going to do differently? Please share your thoughts across social media and tag us. For links and show notes for this episode, visit our website www.sustainableaquaculture.ca slash podcast. Thank you again. I hope you will join me on the next episode and together we can help create a better business in aquaculture.